1: Hello and welcome to episode 303 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We are coming to all of you later than planned. The original plan was to record this episode on Monday, and I don't need to explain it any at this point, as all of you will know. All of a sudden, that seemed pretty trivial, and it didn't seem like quite the right time to come on and talk about, you know, the Bucks trip in Paris or what's going to happen with the All Star game. Um, Kobe's passing on Sunday shocked the entire basketball world and the entire world, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're both included in <clears throat> that. We've both written about it, so we've probably we've probably shared our thoughts much more eloquently than we probably can in the flow of things now. Um, but it would be remiss of us not to just spend a couple of minutes talking about this. What are your thoughts a few days later? I mean, it goes out saying, obviously, the, the event itself was a tragedy. But just on this idea of Kobe Bryant, the figure that he was, just how important he is to the NBA and to basketball globally being gone. How are you feeling on a these few days later Jordan?
0: It's certainly weird. Um cuz obviously I mean people of my age, I'm nearing on 28 years old. Uh I can't really think of basketball without Kobe Bryant in it. I, I, he was honestly like one of the first kind of players that like since I was aware of basketball and the nba and all the stuff that he was kind of a person to like trace my origin story to the game i would say uh certainly obviously was you know super young when he entered the league and kind of you know have some kind of connection that way in terms of like oh you could follow his career and even when i wasn't as big of a fan as i am now and all this stuff and uh from that perspective like you kind of just have like what we're seeing, you know, in the, I don't know, I guess three days after he's this awful tragedy and all this stuff is everybody has a story about Corey Brian. Everybody has kind of a, um, an attachment to him in some way or shape or form. That's not all good either, considering, you know, uh, some of the things that happened in his life. Absolutely. But uh, I, it's, it's such a weird kind of. It's one of those things where, you know, you hear about like all these players and they talk about Kobe and and you know, you're kinda of like, okay, I've heard kind of like these anecdotes before and stuff like that. And that's me just being jaded and cynical and like mm-hmm. and trying to find new ways again uh to like write about something different. But um when you lose someone of that presence and stature, uh it's pretty eye-opening in terms of just like oh this is someone that like is incredibly influential to the nba not because of not just because of like you know being you know at time all-star which is in its in and of itself is incredible <laughs> um winning five nba titles all this stuff like he is kind of an interest i think to me it's an he's an interesting person in that like you hear the fact that he grew up in such a unique way that he was the son of an NBA player himself and obviously lived in Italy. He has kind of like mm-hmm. this international flavor in his own, you know, background of growing up and stuff like that. And I think, you know, I can't help but frame it through this or see it through this lens in that all these international stars, Luka Doncic, obviously Giannis, Chris stapps it goes on the line, down the line that like it, he was, he touched the world in different ways that. Um, in terms of his rise that everybody latched onto him and had a very um, personal, you know, people looked up to him, he was their idol, Giannis's idol and all this stuff. So to me, it's, he's kind of an interesting figure in that, like, as the NBA and the game of basketball becomes this global giant, he's the one that was kind of at, at you know, the forefront of that rise and everything. And obviously LeBron is kind of, taken that baton since then but i mean he is the kind of the player that where everything comes through i guess the NBA's you know global rise and becomes what it is today um to me that's kind of interesting that you know what we're seeing and all the how people are mourning and just talking about him and all this stuff it's to me that's interesting but it's Overall, I mean, it's 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 a very weird feeling, even for someone that wasn't. I would I looked up or I watched him and really kind of, uh, liked him when I was a kid, and then obviously you know grew more into the Bucks and <laughs> wished the the Bucks had someone as good as Kobe Bryant for a very long time, and thankfully they have someone who is. But uh, it's such a weird feeling, and even like even in Milwaukee, there are some. You pass signs and there's oh, it says legend in 1978 to 2020, which is weird in itself. They have a picture of Kobe Bryant. Like it's like you said, it's it's everywhere that this is happy. It's it's that people are deeply affected by this awful uh, tragedy.
1: Yeah, the the scale of it is fascinating, and I just he is he is a personality that I'll, I'll find endlessly interesting, and it's just. I think in part because he's just impossible to unpack and he is a completely different kind of megastar. Like you mentioned LeBron and I, I think there's no doubt LeBron took over the mantle as kind of face of the NBA from Kobe, but they're also completely different. And I think their reach is different for different reasons and they resonated with people in different ways. And like it's the kind of thing. Something like this happens, and you'll frequently hear, "Oh, there'll never be another. There will never be another Kobe Bryant for better and for worse." And I think that's the thing that, in the aftermath of it, is kind of it's striking. And I was I was gonna ask you, like, would you have considered yourself a Kobe fan when he was playing? How did you feel about that? Because I I don't know if we've ever really talked about that before, in any kind of meaningful way um but, but you kind of touched on it there and it, it seems pretty similar to me i mean i would probably say i i was maybe further to the other side but i wasn't a fan of his game um i'm not generally drawn to players who play the game the way he does i'm not necessarily always drawn to personalities like him in my in my kind of sports stars in my favorite athletes um but there is another element to it and it's It's something that for a long time, I think the other player for me who I would always have paired with him in terms of how I felt about them uh, was Kevin Garnett. Mm -hmm. And As a player, I did not have a whole lot of fondness for Kevin Garnett until very late in his career, until I really started to think about why is it I don't like this guy? And the Garnett's case, it was maybe a little bit more direct. I was a Hawks fan, and I was watching the Hawks and Celtics pretty regularly do battle. And, of course, um, there was the famous Zaza versus KG moment, which, (laughs) if you're ever going to get on the wrong side of me, Jordan, I mean, that's it. Um, But it, it also comes down to that ability to just be that kind of bold and brash at what you do and deliver on it. Um, when that's someone that you're not kind of naturally in a position where you find yourself rooting for, you're you can only but hate them. you know that's he is Kobe is the ultimate you know you either love him or hate him. superstar mm-hmm. And that in itself speaks volumes for just how good he is because to to generate feeling of that strength on either side of the divide you've got to be something really special, you know, mediocrity or even. I mean, I I don't know. I don't I don't even have the term and I've been trying to think of it because it feels like there's greatness and then there's something else. And Kobe is in that tier of there's something else where you'll say there's all these great players and then there's Kobe. And you've got a select group of 10 to 15 guys all time that will find themselves in that kind of tier but he is there and it does something different. And look, just, I mean, as you've already alluded to just an endlessly complicated figure, mm-hmm. um, the, the way he, the way he carried himself on court, the way he treated his teammates for some people that endeared Kobe to them. Uh, again, I wouldn't have been one of them. Tim Duncan was the kind of player I like that may just say more about me. Um, then of course we have everything off the court from, the rape case and all of the fallout that came from that and the opinions that are still so bitter and divided and the the way that continues to provoke reaction to you've got one extreme of his life there and whatever way anyone wants to kind of litigate that and read into it, and then you go to the other side and you've got all of the work he's done for women's sport. You've got his very kind of clear and open love and adoration for his children, which obviously ends up being the most tragic element of all in this. And you've all of the good work he's done in recent years. I, I do think uh for Kobe, when you look at Kobe, even me as someone who wouldn't have been a big fan of Kobe, the player and would certainly at least have, would have looked with a critical eye of, who he was and how I thought of him as a person throughout his career and throughout the various decisions and everything he'd done in his life. I can't say I didn't warm to him in his post-playing years. And look, we, we didn't know him back then and we didn't know him more recently, but he does seem like someone who somewhere along the way, there were some lessons learned. And I think there is something to be said for that. Um, for the game of basketball though, it is, it's a truly monumental loss. And I don't, I don't quite know, it's it's impossible to be prepared for this, you know, as as a league, the NBA, all of the teams, all of the players individually, but yet I feel like this will change something where if something like this was to ever happen again, there will have to be some sort of plans in place and contingencies in place because it's, it's just kind of been a chaotic few days. I mean, it's very much been um, adequately reflective of what grief is like and just how frantic all of that can be because... Like, what is going on is really a big part of it. It's like, okay, we've got some players and they're wearing 24 for a game tonight or they're wearing eight. You've got players changing jerseys. You've got games being played just after it with players openly weeping on the court. Then you've got games being postponed. Um, You've got all these people saying, oh, we need to change the logo. We need to retire 24 all around the league. All of this kind of stuff. And you're just like, there's a lot of goodwill and there's a lot of good intention. Um, But I I think it's reflective of just how strongly everyone feels about him, but also how shaken up everyone is that it just kind of feels like it's been chaos the last few days. And as much as there's a lot of things right now that I think people are saying, oh, that's a great gesture. This is a good idea. I think down the line, people look back on this and be like, there were probably better ways that, you know, Kobe could have been memorialized and acknowledged at that time. Personal opinion this is, right? And I'm, I'm open to hearing from listeners, and I'm open to your thoughts too. Just as an example, this idea of, and it's not an idea, the amount of players who've changed their number. Is it not better to memorialize Kobe if Kobe means something to you by continuing to wear 24? Or continue to wear eight? Like, that's the reason a lot of players wear it in the first place. um. And there could be more personal reasons, too. I mean, I don't know. Did you see Pat Connaughton talking before the Bucks-Wizards I game? Did, about, yeah, I yeah. I I thought that was... <laughs> I, I don't even want to make it about Pat Connaughton and what he said, but I thought that would be reflective of why a lot of players around the league were already wearing 24. And to me, there's part of that where it's like, let's all not just rush into something here because particularly for Kobe and the way Kobe thought about things. Um, the best way to actually honor him and go out and memorialize him is with 24 and you're back or eight and you're back and go and play a game. And there's, there's so much of this that just feels strange to me. I don't know. Maybe they'll figure out exactly the right way to do it. To me, the obvious thing is like we're two and a half, three weeks out from all-star break. Um, all-star weekend should just be all Kobe Bryant. Like you've got to, you've got to, team that weekend that may be in Chicago and you may have whatever else going on but it's not too late to kind of put a different spin on that I don't know I just I I think it's very much understandable and reflective of the kind of just sheer wave of emotion and the shock of all of this but I don't know I think there's better ways that in the long term we could say okay that's how that's how Kobe Bryant is honoured You know, rather than 20 years from now, no one wears 24, and it's, oh, it was Kobe Bryant's number, as opposed to a whole generation of players who were inspired by him and wear it, then go on to inspire another generation, and 24 is kind of this lauded number forever, much like 23 is true Jordan, true LeBron, as is now. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside, Um, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Have you got anything else to add on Kobe? I think, as I mentioned to start, both of us have written about this, and probably, probably in a way that's a little bit more together than what we've just done. But anything else you'd like? That. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that was a very good answer, but I
0: just think it's. I I don't know how I I agree with you. I think, uh, it we're. I don't want to say uncharted waters, but there just, there just isn't kind of this. You have no, I mean, I mean, this is in all things death related, but you have no idea how to prepare for anything as sudden and final as someone dying the way that Kobe Bryant died and stuff like that. And I don't know it kind of makes me. I think to me, like the la- the thing that I keep kind of gravitating towards is just the kind of how I. I mean. I'm not alone in this, but, you know, seeing how he was that last season, kind of the farewell tour and the farewell tours since then. And you kind of like, I know there's, it's easy to joke about stuff like that. And I know like this came up when like the heat were announcing that they're retiring to Wade's number over three days and all this stuff, like <laughs> how kind of easily absurd and ridiculous things like this can be. And I know we talked about this at the All Star Game last year, and like you know, Dirk and uh, Dwayne Wade kind of getting in as these kind of like honorary captains slash you know sage. Uh, thank you for your service, kind of thing. But like to me, like it kind of puts in perspective. Like those are needed for everyone to kind of say, even like like it's, we're people that I'm. This <laughs> is. Got, uh,
1: I, th- I think you're right on this. This is a conversation we actually have had in a different way before, and I think it applies here. And that is, we talked about for quite a long time, Um, I guess most notably with Sidney Moncrief about being yes. in the Hall of Fame,
0: yep.
1: and that the Hall of Fame is pretty ridiculous. That's not news. People know that. But that the idea is that it's so often, you know, it ends up being really late in someone's life or much later than it should be. Or sometimes it's done reactively because someone's unwell or in the worst possible cases, because someone has passed. And this is a great example where that, that is a moment. And even say, for example, Shaq, when he was speaking on TNT on Wednesday night, he mentioned, you know, he's not going to have that moment. No, one's going to have that moment with Kobe at his, at his hall of fame enshrinement where it's like, this is it. And we can reflect on that. Like, That's just one example, but that's a great example of, like, why does anyone have to wait any length of time? Like, the day Kobe Bryant stepped off that court, particularly with how he did it, he was a Hall of Famer. You know, so the next year you should be in. Now, this is the most tragic circumstances, and it's gone the wrong way. But I think it does speak to something we talked about before, and your general point here is, you know, the league and franchises individually, you know, celebrate your players, celebrate the personalities that have meant so much to your fans and kind of define the generation of basketball in a city or in the entire league while they're there, you know, make mm-hmm. sure you do this and and also do it when they're finished playing. I mean, we've talked about this in terms of, you know, honoring past teams and past players before. It's, there's a really awful thing about all of this where it just happens and then there's the outpouring. And of course, that's the always always the way it works. It works that way in life generally. But this seems like one of these areas where the parties involved probably can't do more along the way. You know, you can do more and really make more of it while it's happened. And I think you like you mentioned the from Kobe and then what we've seen with, with D. Wade. I think there is some progression there. Like You're right, for as much as it seems just completely absurd and it's easy to joke about, I think Kobe did in some ways pave the way for players to get a little bit more of that kind of fanfare and be kind of honoured and memorialised, not just within their own lifetime, but within their own playing careers, if they so wish. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not for everyone. Dirk, for example, did all that he could to try and bat that away. It happened all the same, which... Was its own kind of just weirdness. Adam Silver even...
0: practically retired Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> with those comments, and I
1: yeah. Let's not forget that yeah. Dirk Dirk had not announced he was retiring, and everyone else retired. Dirk he
0: literally he said something about like the way he walks and up and down the floor. See, this is again, this is how like uh, we can easily turn this into like okay, this is absurd and like how things can happen, but like it's it's true. Like even like when you think about like LeBron's last year in Cleveland. And again, he's, he hasn't retired at all, but like everybody kind of knew like, oh yeah, this kind of feels like the last season. It, it, it progressively went towards that way. And, you know, they get literally the teeth kicked out of them by the Warriors of the finals. It wasn't even a competitive series, but there was just kind of this sense of appreciation and gratitude, I would say, in, in terms of his last act in Cleveland, maybe not. I could be wrong.
1: There is, there is, but also, I mean, and obviously that's a complicated case and a, a really extreme case in terms of the high of what was achieved then as well. But, like, there's a lot of other stuff that goes on around this, and a lot of it is just nonsense. And we get overly involved and overly attached and overly emotional about what, at the end of the day, is a game. And we forget the kind of things that actually bring great joy and are the reasons we watch in the first place. Mm-hmm. And. Look, this is relevant to us because if everything went wrong, this is a conversation we could be having two years from now, right? So in LeBron's case, what LeBron did for Cleveland, what LeBron did for the Cavs, like, really, it doesn't matter if he decides to leave and take his life elsewhere and do something else. I mean, he shouldn't just be celebrated once. He should be celebrated... Like, in a colossal way, every time he steps foot in that arena, because, you know, he is the chosen one he ultimately delivered, and he gave those fans something that they can hold on to forever. I mean, to me, there is just an element of this where Kobe never had this complication because he was a a one-team player, but... You just it's it's an example of all of the pettiness that can get involved along the way that something like this happens then, and you get some perspective and you're like, what's that about like <laughs> you know it's rather than oh that that person has decided to move somewhere else and take their life elsewhere for you know decisions that are theirs and theirs alone related to their career. Why don't people always remember you know what someone brought them and I think that is one nice thing about the Kobe situation is. You just have like there, there is no, there is no ambiguity in that because you have Laker fans, and he is universally loved, and he always has been, and maybe that also plays into just the the kind of the unified feeling of it because there isn't, for basketball reasons, any kind of divisive element in that. But I, I don't know. I mean, we're we're really we're kind of off on a tangent here, but it does make. I think it certainly makes both of us think about how players are taught of how players are treated, how these people who are like idolized for so long, how it goes one way or another and what's done about that. It's I guess just a reminder that, you know, nothing lasts forever and Mm -hmm. you you never know. You never know when it's your time. Um,
0: And we saw firsthand, you know, with Marcus Johnson and everybody's begging the bucks to retire his number. And, you know, Thankfully, nothing grave Mm -hmm. happened, but, and we just saw like how amazing and no one thought of the game and that the fact that the Bucks played the Cavaliers and beat them, if I remember correctly, it wasn't, it wasn't a great game, but like people remember what, you know, Marcus Johnson and what that day meant to him in terms of his number being retired by the, you know, by the Bucks and stuff like that. Like it, you know, it's, it won't be taken for granted. Basically, when you stuff like that happens, um, yeah.
1: Who was it that last year? Maybe it was the year before. Got inducted to the Hall of Fame, having recently passed. Because we we did have this conversation at the time. As an executive, I don't know. It'll come back to me later, but I mean, we had that conversation at that time, and I mean. Look, it's it's great that Marcus got his number 8 retired. Um let's hope he gets into the Hall of Fame though, and it's the kind of situation. Mm-hmm. I, I really think in in light of this happening to Kobe, that needs to be revisited in terms of why is there why is there any waiting period? Because the players who are obvious Hall of Famers are going to get in first time. They're going to get in straight away. And the players who may make it in and it's borderline they're going to have to wait and go through the cycle multiple times and see how their legacy ultimately holds up and the narrative plays out for what their contribution to the game was. So I, I just don't get the benefit of that. It, it is a, it is a pretty sad thing. And obviously it's, it's going to be really sad when um, those inductions come around, particularly with the class of players that are going to be going to be there. And you're talking about just absolute heavyweights of their generation. And yet there's going to be one, one person missing and that's that's going to be pretty crushing all over again mm-hmm. but look really tragic news, really sad few days um our thoughts are obviously with the bryant family with all kobe sports all around the world but also with the families of the other victims in the crash mm-hmm. okay jordan moving back over to our our usual patter our usual beat the milwaukee Bucks. um since we last podcasted, the books have not quite been around the world and back, but they've, they've gone some way towards it. Um, they successfully navigated their trip to Paris, um, looked to have a lot of fun in the process, which is very good, and they are now back stateside, and they have a win under their belt, and a pretty notable win at that, um, not for the opponent, but for everything else i mean everything that wasn't the wizards on the night um the fact that they scored 151 points without Yannis, the fact that chris middleton had 51 10 and 6 with the 51 being a career high um eric bledsoe had a season high of 34 to go with 10 assists and six rebounds uh sometimes when Yannis doesn't play it can be a bit like really okay this was not one of those times. This game was really something.
0: I gotta disagree. I think, I mean, there, are, I think there have been games where Giannis. I'm not.
1: I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's. It's not made interesting. I mean, we've had. We've had crazy Ursan games this year. Um, <laughs> but I. I actually meant to look this up last night, even, but I do feel like Bledsoe's numbers when Giannis is out are really good. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misled on that, but that's the feeling that I have. That's what my gut is telling me. It feels that way. But sorry, I cut across you.
0: But well, no, I mean you kind of hit on the head that like, interesting doesn't definitely mean good basketball always, but like sure. Um, I mean, when you're playing against the Wizards who like to play fast don't really like to play defense <laughs> it, like it's going to be like a fun game like i was kind of in terms of that it's kind of like you just kick up your feet and just watch what happens and not kind of get too bought into it but it's hard not to when chris Middleton has not just a 50 point game but i mean he did have 26 shots he there's just we talked about it when last week right
1: Anyway. I don't know if you tell me what it was, really, I can tell you.
0: <laughs> no, I was just talking about like All Star and you know, just his case and
1: Yeah, if it was if it was not last week, it was the one before.
0: Um and just the way he's kind of played this year, and I, I think there's a obviously a confidence <laughs> when you drop 51 points. <laughs> um I just think this is kinda of, this is I, I said it before, but it's easily the best I've seen Chris Melton. There's just there is kind of just this. I don't know how to describe it. I, it's not just consistency, but in confidence. But it's just kind of this.
1: He's a completely different level. He's a, a different player. Yeah, it's he's it's... the same player, but he can do more of everything more efficiently, and you just don't notice it in the same way. In part because of what Giannis does on most nights. Um. I wrote about this today. You probably haven't had a chance to see it yet. Probably no one has had a chance to read it. Maybe by the time this goes up, like the the thing that with Middleton, I I think we've got to start realizing rather than doing the he's so underrated, he's so why is he underrated? And then the oh he's you know he's actually people say he's underrated so often that he's adequately rated or he's overrated. Like we've gone through this cycle now for six years, like over and over again. And the only way that can happen over and over again is if he keeps continuing to get better so that he's continually outgrowing kind of one level of what he's perceived to be so that he moves up to the next tier. And you're like, he's underrated. People don't realize this is how good he is. And people don't realize this is how good he is. And that to me is just what keeps happening where now it's at the point. It's like, is he adequately rated among stars among first options around the league among some of the league's very best players. And, like, I, I we'll get to the mailbag later, and there will be Quibblers, or there will be one Quibbler. Um, but I I don't know at this point how how anyone is doubting Chris Middleton as a player. I mean, I can I can still see why you might say, oh well, the books would be better if they had a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George. Basically, saying if you know if you had another true first option that on a great team could be a first option. Sure, that's the dream, but what Chris Middleton has become is beyond, beyond my wildest dreams as someone who has long been a Middleton fan and believer. Like, this just didn't seem possible, and consider this, well, the article I've already written and posted, but this, if you haven't read that yet, this is the beginning of my new cause, one of them, I always have multiple at once. We're talking about All-Star, Jordan, right? We'll be mm-hmm. talking about All-Star shortly. Forget about All-Star. Chris is an All-Star. The real question and the real thing that people should be talking about is whether Chris Middleton is All-NBA this year. And that's the kind of thing that is jarring to think about, and I think it's probably going to sound jarring to a lot of people, because all NBA is just an entirely different class.
0: It's literally the top 15 players.
1: Top 15 players. And I mean, we're talking top nine front court players, if even top six. Is center still an official designation for all NBA? I feel like it might no, be. No, because,
0: or er, yes, it is. Because that's the, everybody's been talking about that in terms of, well, you don't have this for, or you don't have this for all star voting. Why do you have it for all NBA purposes, kind of thing?
1: Well, what I'll say is if you look at the numbers, you look at the players who've made All-NBA in recent years and who could be considered his rivals, Chris Middleton is right there. Now, I'm not saying he's going to make it definitely. I'm not saying he's a first team or second team. Look, being realistic, you're talking third team. And if you're making All-NBA third team, that's not like you're not settling for something. That's an incredible honor. Uh, but we're talking about a player who's averaging 26-4 and four on 50-40-90 splits right now in under 30 minutes per game. So he's at like 25 7 and 5ish per 36. Absolutely absurd. Absurd with the efficiencies posting from across the floor. And on potentially, you know, what could be the third team to win 70 games in an NBA season. He's the second best player. He's doing that. Um I think I think we've reached a point where we can't overlook his contributions generally to what the books are doing. Um, Giannis is going to take our bread away and grab all the headlines most nights. But if Chris Middleton just wasn't there at all, is the team worse? Like The answer is yes. Likewise, really, for Eric Bledsoe. I think both of them, um, their they're own cases for All-Star or all NBA teams are all defensive teams later in the year whatever this is an issue all books players are facing um but there is there is something incredibly special about this season that's so much bigger than the argument we're going to have for a couple of days before i imagine he is then routinely selected for a second straight all-star game i I can't see coaches not voting Chris Middleton in because he's always been a player who will have polled higher with coaches than maybe any other buddy. um, And I, I just think with what the books are doing and what he's doing individually, I can't see coaches not putting him in at this point, particularly with how he's kicked on over the last 10 days. I mean, since we probably, 10 days is probably not right, two weeks um, considering the break. Since we maybe first talked about all-star and the Chris and Bled element, the the episode you were referring to, whether it was our last one or the no one before. At that time, I remember going through the forward options and being like, he he should make it. I think he'll make it, but he has a tougher path than there is necessarily for Bledsoe, a guard. I mean, in the time since then, the way Middleton has played, he's just blown away basically all of those guys. Mm-hmm. And when, when it gets to then, okay, well, who are the all... Who are the All-NBA forwards? Who are the players, if you're picking six forwards, who are having better seasons, who are going to be picked ahead of him? Obviously, we're not the whole way through the season. He has to sustain it. That's certainly no small task, considering just how well he's playing. But the picture is pretty open for, say, the sixth spot. um, And it has been the last couple of years. Like, Blake Griffin made an All-NBA Third team last year. Had a good season. No doubt about it. I'm not looking to uh, diminish that achievement. But if Blake Griffin last year with the Pistons can make an all-NBA team, I don't see why Chris Middleton can't do it this year. And again, I'm I'm open for... uh, Should I really be inviting debate on this particular topic? I don't know. Jordan Middleton maybe isn't the one that I should be looking for debate, discussion on. Um, But... Whatever way you watch the game, whatever way you want to gauge things by, it's very difficult right now to go and say he's not in a completely different tier of conversation in terms of NBA forwards than he's ever been in before. Maybe then he will ever be in again. I mean, age-wise to me, um, I know this is something people debate, but to me, like he's in peak years. I mean, next Mm -hmm. year to their his peak years. And right now his peak is pretty damn good. Um, I don't know. I I just, I can't see how Chris Middleton can get much better than this. Then again, I didn't see this coming in the first place.
0: Yeah. And we, we kind of touched on it in terms of like how the Bucks kind of, you know, whether it's like bringing in Wesley Matthews and kind of lightning, his load, especially on both ends of the floor and kind of free him up more offensively, obviously losing Malcolm Brogdon um, gives him more responsibility on the ball, even though he already had a, you know, large role to begin with. Um, I mean, there's just a different ways that you could point to why this is happening and all that stuff. But I I just think it's ultimately, he's coming off a He was coming off a a down year and still was an all star and all this stuff and you know we certainly talked about uh, different points last year and in terms of especially the uh, the
1: I'm gonna gonna, I was gonna jump in on one thing down year last year like last year was a career year his shooting was the one thing Mm. his three point shooting was down and and otherwise I mean I guess we all looked at him we said this is just different and there's something not quite clicking. And we know that it was no secret, it was no secret at the time, it certainly isn't now that you know he was having trouble finding a suite in the offense, Bud was having some trouble finding how to kind of naturally integrate him and have it all work for everyone all at once. But I mean in terms of his production still he was right there, if not better than he's ever been. The three point shooting was the one was the one knock, and obviously this year it's I mean everything is there. There's nothing lacking. Yeah, you think, no. I'm, I'm I, open to your, to your argument, Donna. I? I, I, I know it wasn't a perfect year, but I, I don't know if I'd go with a down year, personally.
0: I, I would. I think okay. it was just more inconsistent in that. You know, he, out of any Buck player, had the biggest period of or period role of adjusting to Bud's system, and we talked about too where the Bucks are very kind of. Stepfast in terms of their shot selection and all this stuff and where kind of middleton lives that's not i mean he is uh obviously a good three-point shooter and all this stuff but there's much more to his game that he has to kind of grow into being more comfortable as a scorer and kind of doing all that stuff and obviously i again it was not a total down year i just think it was just very erratic sometimes and you know, you could point to certain ins like this, you know, incidents in terms of like how you played. But I think there is just this kind of everything has been put in a place where it's not just Giannis. It's not just Bledsoe. It's him being unlocked in different ways and be more kind of that give and take where I know like Bud's talked about it last year, uh, especially, but kind of, we'll give you what you need to kind of grow into being more comfortable scoring the ball and all this stuff. And then we'll have, I mean, you have to do it around what we're trying to, uh, you know, play through our system. And I just think for me uh, just seeing that and kind of seeing a little bit of like playing it's you, you want to install your system. Last year was about installing your system and having kind of this, uh, you know, turning things over uh compared to how they were operating now it's like we have the system and now we're going to take your individual qualities and tendencies and do it and then kind of build it into this uh i don't know balance is not the right word but it's it there's just a little bit more of like oh yeah i can recognize chris milton in the system and how give and take right yeah give and take and to me that's what's so great about his season this year is that I feel like he's fully comfortable in just what he's playing and what's been designed for him. And it's not, it's not that kind of like, Oh, I have to kind of relearn how to like walk in terms of playing my game.
1: Yeah. Well, I think he, he may have got better at the part of his game that wasn't comfortable last year. And he also then has what he was good at to begin with to fall back on. I mean, it's, it hasn't been like a natural learning process because it was trying to kind of unlearn some things. And I think just eventually the books have figured out what works best. And he probably benefited a little from what he was asked to do and learn to do last year while also then having this extra gear to go to from before. I mean, he he is a difficult one because as we touched on, he's clearly improved as a player, but digging down into, okay, where exactly is that improvement and why, why is it not being obvious all in one go? Why is it kind of like we're looking at numbers year to year and being like, oh, okay, now he does this, now he does this, now he does this. I I think that is just... That's just a byproduct of the, the role he was put into and, and how it all played out. Um, I mean, the big thing in this, I think, has to be confidence, too. And that oh, has yeah. to be the, com- the combination of last year, finally making an all-star team, and then the team USA experience as poorly as that ended up for but that that in while. itself
0: is is kind of a uh you know you, you use that as to like motivate yourself in terms of bouncing back from that. Obviously Giannis has done that with Greece. He's at the uh the oil. Yeah, run.
1: there there is also though, and we talk about it at the time, I mean there's a strong track record of guys following up international summers or career years. Like that's yes that's that's not something that for all we talk about, the toll of it, um I would guess if you were to really dive in, this hole shows up two years down the line, particularly if you're a team that's playing deep into the playoffs every year or three years down the line, rather than in the moment. Um, what can often happen is the follow-up to that. I mean, you come into a season, you're really sharp. You're, you're kind of sharper than a lot of the competition and you find a rhythm and you stick with it. And, Probably considering just how kind of how much of a slow starter and infamously slow starter in particular it is, it's no coincidence that we get to this point before the all-star break and we're like look at how well he's played because Chris traditionally has been a post all-star break player. Yep. Um so the the World Cup has very likely played a part in that too. Um The the All-Star part of this, so to kind of transition over into that element of the conversation. Do you think there's any way he misses? Is it even no. remotely possible? No, uh, I don't see it either. I like, I just.
0: And I, I thought that. I mean, before this kind of obviously the before the
1: fifty-one point game. Um, I, I don't know if like when when the votes have to be in. I would assume How's
0: it's which... Monday. Um, this last Monday, not the. The right Monday because word, like yeah.
1: Scott Brooks did mention that he voted for him. Um, voted past tense, so the fifty-one is likely not actually going to have any influence on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think it, I would assume it's this Monday or last Monday. We, you know what I mean? This week's Monday. <laughs> I,
1: I know what you mean. Everyone knows what you mean, Jordan. <laughs> They're named on Thursday. We know you don't mean next Monday. Exactly. <laughs> so. Middleton's in Bledsoe if voting is still open somehow Chris didn't do Eric any favors um (laughs) by overshadowing his 34 10 and 6 game which under different circumstances it could have been the you know here's the all-star case it's it's time to really start recognizing Eric Bledsoe what he can do um this increasingly seems like he's going to be overlooked and I, I'm not very happy about it. It just, I think it sucks. He's, he's having a really, really good season. Um, I don't think even we're giving Bledsoe enough credit for how good this season's been.
0: No, I, I I kind of, I willingly admit that.
1: (laughs) And I say we, I, I do mean you and I through the various ways that we do that, but I also mean like, whatever, books people collectively. I I think he's probably unfairly dealing with the baggage of the playoffs, even when it's not the playoffs. Now, I understand the time comes where we're rightfully all going to be on tenterhooks about what Bledsoe's going to show up, and is it possible that he finally books this trend? Um, But the regular season hasn't been the problem, and yet this is still a lot of the stuff he's doing is a completely different level, and it's kind of like it just gets glossed over because we feel like we know how the story is going to end, which isn't really fair to him because maybe it's not how the story is going to end. I'm not going to get my hopes up too much in that regard, but it is possible that we're looking at a great individual regular season that then actually carries over into a postseason season even better. And then all said and done, everyone would be delighted about that. But I think the possibility of that, shouldn't be as overlooked as maybe it's being in the moment of just what he's doing in terms of buying into his role, being incredibly unselfish, and really just doing whatever the team needs him to do to win. That's what's really, I think, striking to me, and I was thinking about it after the Wizards game. Again, obviously Giannis out, and Chris steps up, and Bledsoe steps up. I just feel like whenever the Bucs need Bledsoe this year, he's delivered so far. I, I can't think. Obviously, they've lost six games. This is true for most players, or it's it's not too easy to think of all of the letdowns. But I I really think Bledsoe has stepped up at the moments when the Bucs have needed him to this year.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I I again I will admit I think it. Everybody has this level of skepticism with anything that Bledsoe does during the regular season, and it's not just Bledsoe. I mean. Outside of Milwaukee and Bucks fans in general, uh, there's a healthy skepticism towards the Bucks, and Bledsoe's kind of the prime figure for that.
1: That's that's not real, though. Uh, you know that, like that's not that no, that's not a real skepticism. That's like if you're anyone but a Bucks fan, if you're anyone outside Milwaukee, it's in your interest to think that way because otherwise you're looking at a team that's historically dominant, and the season's over, and they're going to steamroll their way to a championship. Like that's. There is an element of that that is just, you know, if anyone wants to have their own rooting interest, they're going to fool themselves into believing that, whether it's true or not. And there, there isn't a whole lot of precedent because we've got one playoff run to deal with. And we're talking about, you know, an incredible run from Kawhi and then obviously some free control player performances. But that just, that wider, you're right in saying it exists but I would counter that that's not a real thing. Like it's, it's something people want to say. It's something people want to believe. It's something certainly we hear because of that. But like, if we got lie detector tests in and there was truth serum about all of this, I don't know how much that really holds up. Like, it's just the sort of thing people say um, over the course of a season about one team or another, because, that's what it is. The season is so long that people are just always looking for a way to open up the race. What can happen to make this team have a chance or what can happen to make my team have a chance? Like I, I really at this point, that's the book skepticism to me, because other than that, if you're skeptical about the books, I mean, even with some of the things we've seen in the playoffs, I think you're a complete and utter moron. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can't put it in our way. If you're just like, oh, the books are, the books are frauds. The books are completely fake. There's no way this holds up in the postseason. There's no reason to believe there's no way they've got the best player in the league. They've got a system that's performing at completely historic levels and they seem to be more cohesive and deeper this year than they were 12 months ago. Like there's no reason to believe that team can't just go and win at all. So anyone who's taking that tack, Sure, the Bledsoe part of it may have some validity, but the wider thing, call me deeply skeptical of that.
0: Deeply skeptical of the skepticism. Exactly. <laughs> it's like wearing a hat on a hat. Anyway.
1: <laughs> um, Except this is a hat you should wear on a hat. If you're a Bucks fan, I recommend this hat on a hat. Sorry, Jordan. <laughs>
0: Oh, I, I've lost my point. Basically, Eric Butzo, he's doing great. We'll worry about the playoffs later.
1: <laughs> I think that's the right attitude. Yeah. Um. I I just wonder how close he's going to get, and I wonder. I'm not expecting him right now to be named a reserve on Me Thursday neither. night but I wonder where he has to be in coaches voting or how all well that has to play out for him to be kind of near the top of the queue for kind of injured reserves. If that comes into play, if Adam Silver, is forced to pick players. Historically, the commissioner does tend to look favorably on team with the best record. <laughs> but I think Bledsoe, I'm talking purely about injured all-star reserves here and nothing else. Um, I think Bledsoe would need to be pretty close from the coaches. And I just don't know if that's gonna happen. Maybe it will, maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe maybe again this is a this is a different voting body, but it often proves to be not quite as different as we'd like to think. Um if there's a group that, you know, is gonna more heavily weigh what a player offers on a defensive end into an all-star case, this should be that group. Um, historically, <laughs> not necessarily how it translates, but it will be interesting to see how that one plays out. I mean, uh, the one thing with this is Middleton and Bledsoe certainly suffer from from not really having any kind of wider-reaching popularity. And also from being Giannis' teammate, because...
0: Yeah, that, that's, let, that's the thing ultimately, is Let's that?
1: be honest, if if Giannis wasn't here and the Bucks are a really good team and Bledsoe and Middleton were the two best players, people like us would be relentlessly campaigning for them to make the team, and Bucks fans would all be voting for them, and they'd have a much better chance of making it. I mean, it's something that I have thought about a little bit over the last two seasons now, um, but if you'll you'll be able to attest to this too. If we think back to Yanis' first year, I mean, like, we as individuals and the site we run, Behind the Book Pass, were like relentlessly campaigning for Yanis. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime Yannis anytime did anything, we were posting video of it on Twitter with hashtag NBA vote and his name, like to rack up as many votes as we could because, you know, the books had the long all-star drought and he was up and coming and the books weren't the team they are now. And in the last, certainly this year, I can say with 100, I, I have done nothing for any players all-star case. I didn't vote for any player once through any form, through um, the online voting, like on the NBA website, through any sort of social media voting. I have not voted for any player this year. Maybe that's wrong with me. Maybe I should have been rallying around Middleton and Bledsoe. And if I did that, and you did that, and enough Bucks fans did that, um, the story becomes different. Maybe they inch their way up that leaderboard, and they're at least somewhere visible where it starts to matter. But that definitely hurts them. The fact that they have D the Megastar above them on the team going to take a lot of the casual fans of the team's votes, and also votes from outside of that, votes from people who might watch the books occasionally, support a different team. Uh, the international vote obviously all belongs to Anas. I don't know. that That's that's a tricky one. But then I think part of that, there's also a wider complacency among all of us now that, you know, well, the books are guaranteed one all-star and he's got to be the captain every year. uh. So, I mean, why well, put all this work into it? I think that's certainly been the approach you and I have taken. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else or we move into the mailbag?
0: I think that's it. Dante for the rising stars. Well, actually actually let's for the celebrity that. game.
1: <laughs> Let, let's do that. Um Do you think Dante will make it? That's announced Friday. It was supposed to be last night, but then obviously with the TNT broadcast not being yeah. its usual self. Um it was it was postponed to Friday. So do you think Dante will actually make it?
0: I'm trying to think of it, because it's... They obviously have changed it to the...
1: USA versus the
0: World. Yeah, but it's still the first... It's rookie-sophomore game, technically. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. how players have taken... Uh, or picked, I should say. I think he does. Because if you really think about it, I mean, it's, you know, Luka, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson...
1: Well, Luca doesn't matter, to him. Luca's the other side of this.
0: Well, you're You've still picking. Have, are you still? You're still picking the. I don't know. No, I,
1: should I, They've got to. They've got to have even numbers.
0: That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Now I don't know because maybe the year comes along where this is just not workable. I don't know how much long term planning went into the adjustment for this. I mean, there are more and more international players, so they likely have reached a point where it's fine, but... I don't know. I, I It that... is still that format this year, right?
0: I Oh, yeah, I believe so.
1: I mean, if that's the case, he only has the US players to worry about, and that's the number of spots that he's kind of... He's vying for. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I just... I. he's not flashy enough and not by any, not by what he does or how he plays, but by he's the sixth, seventh or eight man on any given night on a team where most of the guys who play in this game are going to be first or second options, even if some of them are doing so for really bad teams and doing so quite badly.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I'm looking over now. The, I'm trying to think the rookies, that were in it for Team USA last year, where Bagley he's been hurt all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson Jr. he's going to make it. Kevin Knox,
1: I mean, no chance. He could, if he makes it and Dante doesn't, I mean,
0: and Trey Young. It's not that long of a list, and this year's rookie class has been far from inspiring <laughs> in its own right, too.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe I haven't, I haven't dug into it I'm just I think there will be players that Dante is much better than and much more capable of contributing to a good team right now who will make it and they may make it over him like I mean someone like I don't have a problem with Jamarant making it Jamarant should make it that's a given he will make it um, but RJ Barrett someone he would like be in that team world the artist formerly known as Maple Mamba. Yep. That's that's true. He would be Team World. He was the person who came to mind, though, as... You know? Player who, like... Is he good? Is he terrible? He's on the Knicks. Who cares? Who knows? But people know who he is, and he gets to play... Minutes? Does Tyler I, I think, Hero
0: take Dante's spot? I know that I'm just picking white dude for white dude.
1: <laughs> well, Tyler Hero absolutely makes it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's actually been good. <laughs> that's that's the thing.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens to that. It would be great. I mean, Brogdon, the Bucks' last participant in that game? I say that as if that's surprising without giving a second's thought to... You know, what the books have been doing with draft picks, the ones that either did trade away, are use in recent years. mean hey, Jabari was in it wasn't. too. I mean, that's before Brogdon, but... That's true. Jabari? You sure?
0: Yeah, because it was after oh, his...
1: second year. His second year. Yeah, I remember yep. it. Yep. Um, Andrew I remember correct, live Brogdon. tweeting it, now that you mention it.
0: Brogdon was in for both of his years, but he might have been replaced by that time. I can't remember because of his injury.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember either, but he's definitely the last player they had to get there. Okay. Um any chance, that any chance that we're gonna get to see Pat Dunk at all Star Weekend.
0: It's a good story, but I don't I I, I doubt it.
1: They'll need a lot of nos to, you know, pick up the phone and call Pat, I think. Yeah. He may deliver a better dunk contest. Like, then a lot of the players to the call will, but I just don't think they're going to, you know, showcase events. They either want young rookie, that it can be you don't know this person yet because they're they a rookie, but you're going to know who they are after this, or household name. I don't know. I, I honestly, it's the one I don't even get anymore. Um, it's hard to pick otherwise. I mean... Like Bled should probably be in the skills challenge, but if he's not an all-star, he's completely within his rights to just say no to that and go on vacation, and he probably should. But I think that would make a lot of sense, and he'd be pretty deserving of that.
0: that I mean, happen. we're
1: not talking we're not talking preference here, because my personal preference would be for Dragon Bender to be in the skills challenge. <laughs> I mean that's that's really what the people want to see. Uh three point contest? I think, I think it was all set up for Brook Lopez to be in this this year before he started shooting absolutely terribly from it the beginning of the season. Year, but people it do. should have been last year, but I think he would have got it this year if he just shot, like, 34% from deep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, For some element of novelty, mm-hmm. but also because, you know, if he did get hot, he could win it, or it could be really fun to watch. It'd be entertaining, and there'd be... N- it's not gonna happen.
0: No.
1: Um but hey look, we'll see. Maybe there's maybe there's some surprises. Um I'm assuming Mark Lazary is a lock. So
0: Does George know. Hill go? League's leading three point shooter.
1: See that didn't even enter my mind.
0: Exactly. It didn't until
1: <laughs> I just <laughs> don't I just don't think that's gonna happen though. Like it which is ridiculous. Um now there's two reasons for that. One, George Hill is like a veteran player. I'm guessing he's been to All Star Weekend before. I feel like he's been in a Skills Challenge. Maybe I'm wrong on that though.
0: I'd kind of be surprised if he has. If he's like, never he, been he's before,
1: best... he should get the call, and then he'll probably say yes. But it, like, particularly for a Bucks team that you know you're gearing up for a long season here, and not a young team. We know this. Like the Kyle oldest Corver. team in Does the Corver league. Go? Maybe it's no. It Corver, last... Corver's out. Cover's not doing it anymore.
0: It might be his last. Yeah,
1: he's never know. he's never done well at it he doesn't particularly like it I like, i think he's actually kind of he hasn't fully said i'll never do it again but he's come very close to it in a couple of interviews
0: i don't think by the way i don't think george hill has been
1: hmm the one thing with this that i'm not factoring in is it is in chicago so this is yeah, not, it's not like, that far away but then it may also be far away from where a lot of the players want to be for that week like there probably is a lot of players who aren't just planning on staying at home in Milwaukee for an off week. Sunnier so, climbs and all that. What's the temperature like at the moment?
0: Um, it hasn't been that cold. It's it picked up. It's thirty one.
1: Okay, I have no idea Fahrenheit, but that's that's thirty one degrees than I'm used to.
0: Celsius. Let's see, let's see, negative one.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. And you're you're like you're advocating for that as hasn't been that cold like it as in gets, players aren't gonna be jetting off to somewhere that
0: why well, I understand that is not it gets, below freezing. It gets cold. It gets it's very
1: cold. Oh, I I know it gets cold, but I assumed when you were giving me it, it's not that bad that we were at least talking, you know, in the positive, you know, not below freezing. But anyway, um, mailbag time. The first question from a Bucks fan for life: Do you think the Bucks, uh can become the fast will become the fastest team to clinch a playoff spot in NBA history? I heard the record was February twenty third. The Bucks' magic number is eleven to clinch. They would basically need to do this before All Star, which they have seven games remaining. Included in that span is the Nuggets up next, but then also the Sixers and the Pacers. I think there's a chance the Bucs... This is obviously dependent on Giannis has just missed a game with a shoulder injury that Bud has insisted is real. Not all that serious, but real. I mean, if Giannis misses the Nuggets game, that's certainly a game they could lose. I don't think it's implausible that they could win all the way into All-Star, though. Certainly with the way this team works, nothing is you know off the table anymore. Um, and if that was to happen, if they could do that, I think they'd probably clinch by All-Star. Because all of those teams down in the 8-seed mix, they lose a lot. That would be a fun one. I, I have to say, that would be that would be something pretty unique and pretty cool for this team to achieve. I mean, they're going to go into the other side where there's a lot of difficult things to do. I mean, um, hey, all-time win record is in play, but <laughs> if you want to come close to never losing again and when you lose them putting together crazy streaks or even, you know, even just to get to 70, just to get to 70, he says, um, but that is one that it's right there in front of them and they could do and could be theirs forever. So will be interesting to keep an eye on if they win their next couple, if they beat the Nuggets, I think that's a big step. Um, obviously being too far out to know health wise and everything, what way it plays out, but I would be very surprised if the Bucks lose to the Sixers again. I don't mean ever, but I mean the next game with the Sixers. Um, Pacers will have Odadipo back, but what's, his, what's he going to look like? When is his minutes restriction going to lift? Or how severe is it going to be early on? They're all questions. But, yeah, it's definitely one to keep an eye on. What do you think, Jordan? You think they have a chance?
0: Mm, I think they drop a game at some point.
1: Dropping one game wouldn't necessarily. It's true. Uh, let me pull up the schedule. They um, got Nuggets. February... Nuggets. Yeah, uh, it's it's not. It's the, I'm trying to think, if February 23rd, when do we come back? They come back, to, they actually play on the 20th and the 22nd. Yeah. They play the Sixers again on the 22nd. So they, they played the Sixers twice before that record comes up. Um,
0: NB just came back last night, Correct
1: correct and was saying he doesn't quite his finger doesn't quite feel right, it's annoying him but he's fine Um, That's like, they they have nine games of their own with a magic number of 11 (laughs) This team is going to do that I, I can't foresee a scenario where nine games before that date with a magic number of eleven that the Bucks don't clinch because it would involve the Bucks losing maybe four games based on how many games the teams at the other end of that scale are gonna lose, right? I think so. It doesn't it doesn't seem all that realistic for them not to do it now that now that I see that this is actually gonna extend a couple of games beyond All Star. But, look, we'll keep an eye and we'll update as we go along. Um, from at Strand1052, do you see anything in particular in his game that Chris may have improved or learned from his time with Team USA this past summer? And we touched on it earlier. I think it's just confidence. Um, I just think he's probably improved a lot of different elements over time. The one the one thing he did do... Um, I guess varying levels of success overall, but he was asked to do it at times was, you know, take the ball up the floor and kind of create for, for team USA. And he had some really nice moments of that and he still continues. It's not perfect, but his, his playmaking has certainly improved. Yeah. Um, That's one notable area. And maybe it's not the one we talk about quite as much, particularly when he's shooting as well as he is right now, but his comfort in doing that is, a pretty big deal and a major evolution in his game compared to say three years ago
0: oh yeah i i think if i have had to look up if it's right or not but i think he has like a two assist to turnover ratio which
1: yeah that, that would seem about right i mean there's been a few nights where he's got like eight assists to one turnover to two turnovers Um, He's averaging 3.9 assists to two turnovers. So yeah, pretty much a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, But it, it it goes beyond that. And even the turnovers, turnovers being low is a good thing, but it wouldn't necessarily be the thing that would bother me or even him ending possessions with assists. Just his ability to look really comfortable initiating and to get the team into a rhythm and a flow. It may not be him that makes the decisive pass or decisive shot in the play. Um, but just in being able to kind of set the table, I I don't think that was something he could do remotely close to how he does it now a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I would guess that that would have been a key focus for him in terms of his daily vitamins since Bud and the staff have come in. And that's probably something that deserves a lot of credit in that too. Um, but I I think the biggest thing, if we're to talk about what the team USA give him, it's gotta be confidence. It's gotta be wearing his national team Jersey following on from a season where he got his first all-star appearance. Then he gets a mega contract in the summer to stay where he has been for a number of years. Clearly very happy. He obviously in his personal life has recently had his first child. I mean, everything is just kind of seems from the outside to be perfectly in sync for him. And should lead to a happy and confident Chris Middleton, and we may be seeing the benefits of that on the court. Agreed. From, a, from a Wesley Bill, um, does this team even have to make a move for a guy like like Bogdanovich? It seems like they're set to me. I mean, we've been on the record on this one for quite a while now, um, at least a month. No, there's, there's no reason to do anything here. I mean, the thing, and I think there's another question coming up, Actually, next question. We'll bring up another name. Um, you know what? I'll ask. I'll ask the question, and then we'll answer the two collectively, kind of on this subject. So the next one is from a Kevin K eight five zero eight seven nine seven three, and it is trade DJ Urson Bender plus the indie pick for Marcus Morris. Who says no? Books need more than just spot up shooters. Plus, he can guard athletic wings. Uh, first of all, no. <laughs> I say no. (laughs) Yeah. um, Jordan, I say no to begin with, which is not a good sign. That's an insane trade to me. Absolutely insane. I don't know what Marcus Morris is or what people think Marcus Morris is for a deal like that. Um, To not only move on from Urson, who's been really good this season for the books, like really good, really useful. To also say, okay, we're moving on from DJ. To move on from Bender. That important cheap contract that you don't have a lot of. And a player who's young and developable. And to put in the Pacers pick. like It just—it makes no sense. It makes no sense. That's that's the kind of move desperate teams like the Philadelphia 76ers will be making in the next few weeks. Um, right, Jordan? Everything in for now. <laughs> Agreed. But... I just think generally... If we want to talk about Bogdan Bogdanovic, we want to talk about Marcus Morris.
0: Covington. Like,
1: let, Let's be serious about this. If the Bucks don't win a title, who in June, who that's like in their right minds and watches basketball is going to be like, this all went wrong because we didn't get Bogdanovic. <laughs> that's the reason the Bucs didn't win at all. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Or Marcus Morris. I mean, someone like Morris. I mean, Morris brings a whole lot of other stuff too. Good guy to have on your team, but has been a combustible personality at times. Not exactly the kind of person I'd be looking to bring into He doesn't even really the, the fit. Most... He doesn't fit at all. He's, I mean, there's no, such a, there's no logic to it.
0: He's having a good year for a terrible team. Um, and he's a fine player, but he's a very kind of... I, I Chucker, was that fair to sure? Say? Um, I know he's hitting like forty three percent from three and all that stuff, but he's not. He's not a very.
1: I mean, look at what he. He's, what he's also what, one. One really look. One really important thing with this. I'll, I'll let you continue your point, but I think this is the one that just, just shut this down immediately. The Bucks did this with Miritich last year, and a lesson to be learned from that is gonna go out and you're gonna do something splashy to kind of get one last addition don't think they necessarily will don't think they necessarily should if you're gonna do that don't get someone who would naturally be playing at Giannis' position it's yep. just it makes absolutely no sense why would you do it like we we saw the Bucks play around with that with Miritich and go to really big lineups and then ultimately go to slightly smaller lineups and then the like I mean Miritich starting at the tree Against the Celtics, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all really kind of interchangeable. It. It, doesn't, it, it doesn't matter, but like that didn't work.
0: Yeah,
1: Didn't work, wasn't good. The Celtics were terrible. The books were just head and shoulders above them, so it didn't matter at that point. But if you're going to make a move to kind of do something to push you over the edge, don't bring in a player who's a good player, who's fine, who could help you in a different scenario, but... They're going to be up against trying to fit in, fit in, learn the system, kind of mesh with everything you have. And then you don't even have a natural role where they can just kind of pick up from where they left off elsewhere to some degree. Like, it just makes no sense. So I, I think that's that's something certainly with Marcus Morris. Covington is a player who I really like and like a lot and have liked for a long time. But you're gonna have the same problem. Whether you wanna see him as a four or it's Giannis, or if you say, Oh, but he could play the tree, well then it's Middleton. It's like why how is that a move that's gonna get you over the edge?
0: Covey to to me is the more um uh feasible fit because
1: he 100 well, percent, in terms of his style of play.
0: Yeah. But the the I mean, again, when we're talking about trees and stuff like this. These guys are going to bid it's going to be a bidding war and the Bucks are not in a position to bid all that comfortably. Yes, they have a first-round pick in this year's draft that everybody is saying is devoid of real talent at least right away. You um, can always
1: find one. You can be the lucky team.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um I mean this is how trade deadline is you we've heard all these anecdotes where Teams think they're, they're gonna get it and there's there's another team that comes out of nowhere and just offers up four second round picks. Again, that's not a shot at the because we talked about the Miratits deal, but like mm-hmm. they they just don't they don't have I, I don't outside of the Pacers pick, I am searching far and wide to see why they would why teams would covet a restricted free agent like Sterling Brown who can't crack the Bucks rotation. DJ Wilson who has one year left on his rookie contract and again doesn't play. Uh, Dragon Uh, Bender I
1: I think they're the most those two you've just named are the most reasonable trades the books could make if you're if you were saying to me the books are going to make a trade predict what it is my prediction would be that they will find a team who likes enough of DJ Wilson or Sterling Brown and has a need that maybe they'll part with a second round pick and the books have just said look we're not really in this game anymore we're not interested in it we'll happily take a second round pick rather than dealing with it another way open up a roster spot for the buyout market and kind of be about our business with an extra asset for the future like that to me is if the books are to make a trade that's what it will be it will be moving on from djr sterling for a second round pick and that's being optimistic thinking you're going to find a team who's going to do that in a whole likelihood
0: yeah and in sterling's case why you know the well, maybe there side. is a
1: team. I mean, maybe there is a team who likes Sterling and likes what Sterling could be long term still, and once once his bird rights. Uh, but then, what are you going to even have to match? Like, unless unless you had a hole on the wing and he goes in, and you know you're going to play him straight away, and there's there's a possibility that you know he could be much more expensive than the summer if he really showed out over space of a few months. I don't know. Like, that's all kind of beside the point. But to me, when I'm thinking of like what trades. I don't, I'd don't. i be lying if I said this has happened before in the years that we've been covering the books, but I'm not scouring for the players that they could trade for because I just don't think there are a whole lot of them between no. them not having anything to offer for the players who would be worth trading for and really between the players who are kind of seemingly out there. Now, Bogdanovich is the one that when he comes up I can at least understand because, like, the conversation we just had about players who may be best suited to playing at Gianna's position, at Chris' position, like, the books' weak spot in their starting lineup, we, we could make a case it's a point guard based on what happens to Eric Bud. So in, in the postseason, although George Hill behind him certainly offers um, some pretty significant insurance there, it's shooting guard, right? Shooting guard is still the weak spot. Yep. It's Wesley Matthew's season has been... <laughs> I, I honestly I don't know what to say at this point. Um Expect it he... least, I mean. didn't expect the variance in it. I expected oh. it to be what it is overall, but I thought maybe it would just be a bit steadier than it's been. Um and like those things do make a big difference, like in terms of the reliability of what is he in the postseason, like we talked about before. And I mean, again, he's back at Vicer form and he has a really good game. Although he did play well in Paris. Um, Yeah. Maybe there's a, maybe he's half French. I don't know. But (laughs) I would be, I'd be a lot more comfortable if he scored seven points every single game. And he shot two of five, even every game. And I knew that come playoffs, he'll score seven points and he'll shoot two of five. Fine, that's what it is, and it works, and the whole system works, and he's a good fit there, so we don't have to worry about it. If that was the case, I'd be okay with it. Uh, the idea, though, that say you play a seven-game series and the three games on the road, he might go 0 of six, are just not really factor. I mean, I feel good about Dante as someone the books can use in the playoffs. I wrote about that, but there is also the reality this will be Dante's first playoffs. And the stakes could not be higher. And he may just not perform to the level he has. Because, I mean, what can you ask him to do offensively? What is a good team going to allow him to do offensively? The answer is nothing. And that is the position, right? So if shooting guard is the spot still, it's okay. That's the case. So Bogdan Bogdanovich, would he be an upgrade? i I really like him as a player. I'd say yes. So if the books were to get him, in reality, what does it mean? I think it's still next to nothing. Because he's not good enough that he's going to take touches or shots away from Giannis or Chris and probably even Bledsoe. Probably even George Hill in moments when he's on the court. And if that's the case, you don't make the trade. So like they're just not sure they could do with a better shooting guard. Um, They could do it, Bradley Beal, great. If they could get Bradley Beal for nothing, should they do that? Sure. But they they don't have any kind of route to making deals like that for those kind of players. And they can get someone good, but not necessarily someone good enough to rework how they play, where it's going to matter. And I mean, even in that particular case, it would probably end up being oh, nice player, we can all get excited about it, but a net loss, because what can Wes do consistently? He can defend, and the books are a juggernaut defensive. What can Dante do? He can defend. What would happen if you put Bogdan Bogdanovich in, and I'm like, oh, defend as well as those two guys. Like, this is the kind of thing with any player you're going to find, even at the positions the books need. It's like, okay, what have they got? What can they actually do? And then, like, do the benefits really outweigh the potential drawbacks of this? I I am yet to really find a trade where I'm like, that's realistic, and it's an obvious win for the books. It's a no-brainer that they do it. I'm not sure it's out there this year.
0: Yeah, I I, I'm... I, I don't really think so either. And, and I, I also I think...
1: think... If the if that is the case with the Bucs, Jordan, and the Bucs aren't a buyer, the price the price is maybe driven down around the league, and there might be a lot of teams who just decide not to trade players. Like, for example, Covington. I think the that's... The Timberwolves, what... Timberwolves don't have to trade Covington, so you could end up with a no. quiet deadline, and if that's the case, the Bucs are the winners. Th-
0: that's the thing. I, I just... I don't know. I mean... I have no idea how a team is going to react to the trade deadline because even the Western Conference, obviously the bottom half of it is pretty still wide open and any team is going to think that they're close. Um, And I just think there's just kind of – I don't know. I think Mir- the Mir- to deal and, again, the the team that won it all last year, they traded for Marcus Saul and he had a, plenty of question marks about his fit and all that stuff, and the Bucks tried to. <laughs> uh I guess illuminate those questions. (laughs) But um I just I don't know. I we we do this every year where we just these guys get talked up and like, oh you have to sell the farm for your, you know, for this guy. And, you know, it worked for the Raptors last year, yes. But more often than not, and this is this is not just the trade deadline. I think buyout guys are largely just the buyout to me buyout market to me is i don't know i i find that even more weird to me and that like these guys get talked up and they get bought out from teams that they don't want to be on or
1: they're and not who even think leaders. this year is a candidate for that like i don't this year i can't think of many of the
0: one guy that i can think of and i think it's been talked about was evan turner and <laughs> i mean what wow. yeah like this is this is what we're talking about here um
1: i mean sure if you uh if you trade Sterling Brown for a second round pick and you've got an open roster spot and he wants to come and sign for a minimum, okay, fine, let's do I, it. I mean,
0: I don't like
1: that. Either. Uh, he's he's a better player than he gets credit for. I, I personally believe, but I'm not interested. I'm not proactively being like Bucks need to position themselves for the Evan turner market.
0: I mean, we we saw the bio market last year with a certain name, Paul Gasol.
1: <laughs> I kind of forgot about it not exactly yep,
0: you have um, confirmed it
1: <laughs> yeah not, not going to lie on that one I, I mean the other part of this too is if we're talking about like the books making a move with a view to what needs to happen this is not new this is something really we were saying going into the season after training camp maybe the thing they need most is if they could find a way to get it you know, another good point guard just to give themselves depth there. Yeah. Because an injury to either Bledsoe or George Hill for a couple of games in the postseason could just be catastrophic, Um, particularly at the point where Frank Mason won't even be there as an option. Now, maybe they're just comfortable enough because, like, as we talked about, Middleton has progressed meaningfully in that department. Giannis is obviously great there, and Dante has done very well playing that spot with Bledsoe out being able to take up defensive duties. Maybe they're just fine with that. I guess they probably are because I don't think they're going to make a move. Um, But that would be one again. Like, I I don't even know who it would be, but if it kind of, if a good competent point guard came up and you had an open roster spot, you'd go, yeah, okay, let's do it. But how that spot will even open up. mm, I don't know. Like I'm very much, the book should keep Dragon Bender. (laughs) Bender, Bender is pretty good, he's got something, and they need all the cheap contracts they get. So if the Bucks are to have an open roster spot, they're trading someone away in the next couple of weeks. We shall see. Um From a Paddywagon B seven seven one, do you think that Coach Bud has created the most effective basketball system of all time? The Bucks have been historically dominant even compared to teams with much more talent, and it seems to always work so well no matter who is on the floor. That is a very big call, so I don't think so. Just my, this would be an area where my first instinct will be to be cautious on the suggestion of the most effective basketball system of all time, um, particularly as like the system is not perfect. There are some flaws, and it needs to deliver the whole way through for for that to become even a conversation. I mean it. I hate for it to be as obvious as what I'm about to say, but the one system that, you know, there are obvious comparisons to how it was managed and how it made the most of his talent is one that Bud was sitting on the sideline for, and it's the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And really, even the kind of later period, Duncan Spurs. Yeah. The where you he, he is. Sure. He's still your guy. Um, Tony Parker is really good. was a really good player. And he was not, I I I think Bucks fans should probably think more about the Spurs when so many of these conversations come up because Tony Parker was not a player that you'd be going give him his own team and they're like a contender, and this is so much of what happens with you know is Milton good enough? Is Bled so good enough? Um, I Parker and Ginobili could have could have merited those conversations in their own ways. I mean, Manu is just a freakish talent, but. Um, Something of an artist in a way that you couldn't necessarily just be like, oh, well, that's the guy, and if that's the guy that's fine without anything else. So the Spurs were very much a team with, okay, singular talent, really strong system, what does that amount to? And budded front row seats, and obviously an active hand in that. I mean, that is the obvious one to me, where the parallel is there, it's easy to reach for, but I do think it also applies.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, not that uh, this needs confirmation from me, <laughs> um, but the fact that it's, again, it's not like for like for what they did in Atlanta. Kyle Korver has talked about this too, um, but the fact that I you know, the kind of tenets of it all has worked in two spots, and I mean, it's already only been lifted by having someone as great as Giannis, and you know, Chris Middleton, Bledsoe down the line. Like, it's not often that you see coaches go from one team to the other. We're talking about rarefied air. We're talking about like Phil Jackson, um, Pat Riley. Uh I'm forgetting probably a ton of other people. <laughs> but uh Fred Hoiberg. No, I'm joking. Um that can Not yet. Not yet. Give it time. Um Jim Boylan with an E uh, oh that can God, be that can be, <laughs> that can be so successful uh, in two different areas I mean that's just, that doesn't happen <laughs> that often and it's it's pretty remarkable
1: I don't know, I have nothing else to add just hearing Jim Boylan's name ruins my day every <laughs> single time I hear it <sighs> from at M67 Heineck how high up on the all time great books list is Middleton right now, and how how high can he get? Um He can get to number three. Mm. I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying that's easy, but like, I mean, he's set up to. This obviously depends on what happens with the books. I mean, does he win a championship? If he wins a championship, he gets elevated into a class that brings him... I, look, this is this is completely subjective to begin with, because, I mean, what way are people ordering this right now? I mean, um, how high is Dandridge for people and his role in the championship? How high is Oscar, considering how brief his stay was is he elevated because he came in and he helped push him over the edge um how high is Sidney Moncrief which I mean I've made the case multiple times for me he's the greatest book not the best player to play for the book but just in terms of you know totality of what he did and who he was and how much he cared for the franchise longevity all of these things Middleton is in an interesting spot where, when all's said and done, he could have Sidney Moncrief-esque longevity with the books while possibly also having the hardware to go with it. And, I mean, we're now at the point of assuming he's got a couple of all-star appearances with chances for more to come. Like, it's all going to depend on if the books get over the line to win a championship, and then if they did that, could they get more than one? But... I think he, he can get really high. He's the second best player on this team. And on this team, like right now, you've got to look at it and say, well, there's potential for number one all time. Um, some people might already say it. I don't think that's valid right now and without a championship. But there's certainly... I'll, I'm more than happy to listen to the case still for Giannis as already uh, number one. And if you're the second best player on this team... There's a world where this team goes on and wins multiple championships, and that would certainly bring you right up to behind anyone not named Kareem. Maybe maybe Moncrief, depending again what way you view that. But like the pad is there from to be right into all time like top five kind of books pillar. And maybe that feels weird to us in the now and particularly having seen Middleton come from kind of a pretty inauspicious start, obviously being the throw in the trade, and then just being a role player. But, like, he's on to a good thing, and he himself is a very good player. So being a sidekick while also playing well yourself, that could get you very far in this conversation. Right now, I don't know. Certainly top 15. Probably close to cracking the top 10. I haven't done this exercise in a little while though, so I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I mean, he's, he, oh, right now. Okay, he's... so
1: we've got Yanis. We've got Kareem. Moncrief. Marcus. Alan. Alan. Dandridge. that's six. I, I think it gets interesting beyond that. I don't like, I mean, you could easily pick eight, but there's going to be real variance of opinion from that point. Yeah. Like I, 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 that to me is where it stands. It's, you've got those six and then depending on who you ask, he could be anywhere from next, which would be too high for me to being 15 to 20th probably um, but uh, that in itself I think shows just how up for grabs it is again to like really catapult yourself into the all-time top tier
0: yeah and he'll crack the top 10 I mean he he certainly has the case to be the most uh, you know all-time appearances leader certainly have the greatest longevity with the Bucs. And that in itself is, I mean, that speaks to something.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, like in those group of players behind that, we'd be talking about where he comes next. Like Junior Bridgman will be in there for, for that reason in part. I mean, yep. that's, that's not to be a... Not something you can kind of turn your nose up at in any way, so look, we'll see how that one plays out. I mean, good question interesting thought exercise. The answer could be completely different in the positive or the negative five months from now <laughs> you know we'll we'll learn a lot about a lot of different things and we'll have a greater sense of what the what the future beyond that is gonna hold likely five months from now, and if the future is going to involve you know. Giannis being here, maybe there's already a championship and we're looking at Giannis is going to be signing a Supermax. Well, then, I mean, the sky is the limit for Chris because who knows what could be achieved. But um, he is in a spot, I guess, like Dandridge. Dandridge is, like, is the one to compare yeah, it to. The,
0: the parallels are, have always been there. With...
1: If Kareem stayed, would Dandridge be too? Like, very possibly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or if the books got over the line in 74, even, you know, I mean, and then he's got two titles as effectively the second option, particularly but by, by 74, where Oscar was at. Um, I mean, that's the case. It's, it's a weird one where he could end up being your third, fourth, fifth best player of all time. And yet his case is very much going to be tied to the guy he's playing with, who is just unequivocally like... There can be no debate top three like no one no one on the planet is debating the top three books players of all time i think uh,
0: there shouldn't be a debate
1: <laughs> i hope not there there's really there's no reason for ambiguity it's it's Yanis kareem and Sidney moncrief in whatever order you choose mm-hmm. um from at john doza do you think the books should try to give bender major run in the second half Seems like he could theoretically be a better fit than Robin with a shooting upside. Or you think it's more realistic to not expect Banner to crack the rotation until next year? I was a little interested that he didn't play on Tuesday. Um, I
0: think that was more, though, that,
1: excuse me, the game ended up being close. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But they're down Giannis. So if there was any, like, I mean, this is a guy who came into the NBA as a four and has played at the four. It's. I don't Ugh. think it's perfect. Ugh. I don't think it's seamless. Ooh. Sure, but you can make it work if you just want to play him. So what that tells us is, like, he is a five, and he is a five only for the Bucks. Yeah. So he's only going to see minutes at the five.
0: It's why DJ Wilson did not
1: play. I think DJ's got his own issues. I just think DJ's out, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. I think my, where I stand on this, and I have thought about it a little bit recently, and the sample is so small, and obviously Bender's career has been a little bit of a journey that it's hard to kind of know for sure one way or another. I mean, obviously Robin stands in his way. If Robin's injured or ill like he was recently, Dragon's going to get minutes. I think if we're looking out and projecting his role or what he is to the books longer term, though, he's a... He's an approximation of Brooke. Like, his game is not Robin's game. His game is much closer to Brook's. And the best version of Dragon Bender is going to more closely replicate the best versions of Brook's game. Uh, If his shooting is real and that holds up, I mean, who knows what happens over the span of the next, say, 15, 16 months. Um, I think the books would be wise to play him enough to find out and give him opportunities to grow and develop. Like, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I'm not expecting major minutes, but I do think he will play because he has played well. Um there's no reason to to believe he's doing anything other than like applying himself to everything they ask him to do in an exemplary fashion. Like between how he performs when he goes to the herd, his general demeanor. Um, he is he is one of the happiest looking guys on the team and on the bench and. To be fair, I understand that because he is playing a bit and he is on a team that isn't the Phoenix Suns. Like to have come from what his NBA experience has been so far to come into this situation. The Bucks might
0: have like as many wins this like so far as the Suns had
1: over the years. They probably do, Jordan.
0: I'm looking this up. Give me a minute.
1: Mm, maybe not. Maybe they got over twenty in a couple of years.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know.
1: The fact you have to look it up speaks for itself, right? The, the fact that that could be in play. Um,
0: uh, I'm wrong, but it's not that. The, it,
1: I mean, not by much. Just give it, give it a me, week. Just
0: give it the season. Give it the season. It's 64, uh, 64 wins that they had over
1: those three. Yeah, years. that's that's tumbling this year. So he's going to win more this year than he had won in his entire career with the Phoenix Suns. But it went
0: down every year.
1: Oh, oh Phoenix. Um <laughs> But yeah, I i think he'll play a little bit. I wouldn't expect him to take on a major role. But look, who knows what way things break and if he if an opportunity does come his way and he plays as well, if not better than what he's played already, there's no knowing what the situation could be then by postseason or something like that. It's just it's impossible to know. Um But I I do I think there's something interesting in just looking at him as Let's say if Brook was to fall off quicker than expected, or if his shooting was not to come back, and that was to become a bigger problem. Like that's something even in the postseason. What if, what if teams were just forcing Brook to take shots, and he's still not making them? Like has been his issue this season. Well, what if you had a guy who was the same size and has like the verticality elements and the protecting the paint down really well, um, not as well as Brook. That's I'm not sure you could find an airplane in the league who can do that the way he does. But about as well as you can hope for, let alone on a minimum contract. Um, what if you had a guy who could do that? He might be able to hit more shots? Like, it it's not implausible to me that there's a scenario that could come round where the books would be like, let's give Dragon some minutes in the playoffs because we can play the way we want to play, but maybe he makes more shots. Not saying it's gonna happen, but I, I don't think it's something that can just be completely tossed away um so really what i'm saying is dragon bender finals mvp <laughs> right John? um
0: i i mean i hope so um to me i i, I think it's more of a long-term thing um i and this...
1: but the, but that is the. i agree with that but that is the long term right is oh, okay oh absolutely that's the reason you've got him and the way he plays and you're molding him more and more closely to how Brooke plays as it goes along is the hope is, well, if when this contract is up, if dragon is real and dragon is good and Brooke has fallen off a little bit, maybe we can look to move one contract, keep dragon. We all of a sudden have a younger guy who can maybe do a little bit more too. I mean, that's, that's gotta be the long term vision if they are buying into Bender in the way that it seems like they might be.
0: Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not even just long term vision. We're you know, last week we saw him or the last two weeks I should say. Um he's giving them good minutes off the bench. I know his offense is kinda was a little up and down. And his three point shooting, it's gonna be it's gonna take a while to buy that just because he has been inconsistent throughout his whole career, despite what he was been doing with the herd, and you know, he's I think he's been four of nine with the Bucks. Again, very small sample. But I, it's just Rolo's role, even with his struggles, and he's not a three-point shooter, he just brings a level of kind of – he ha, he defensively, as great as Bender has been and has really gotten down that role because, I mean, I don't think he was we, – how we talked about the Suns. I don't think they used him that way at all. and That kind of led to his struggles. Uh, kind of led to his struggles. (laughs) Um, it, I mean, the fact that Robin has a player option for next year and maybe, you know, who knows what if he does end up declining that and thinking that he could maybe make a little bit more money as, uh, you know, he's in the back half of his career. That's, that's why you keep a guy like Bender that can do close to the same things and maybe a little bit more with, you know, he has obviously a passing ability that is interesting and he has really you know kind of fine-tuned like acting as a role man and all this stuff there's just a little bit more there obviously that you kind of want to fill out but uh yeah i i think maybe he'll get more minutes as if the the bucks you know uh do a little bit more rest with guys and stuff like that but it's certainly next year is i think is a more interesting conversation for him under this current contract
1: yeah i agree with that um the next one. From books in five. How many players from his draft class are currently performing better than Dante? I'm gonna say Luka Doncic might be better. Might be playing better. Trey Young. Jared Jackson. Jaron Jackson, definitely. Um Shall go just Alexander?
0: Yeah. This
1: is a good draft class, by the way. Um, it is. It may not be the one to fully zoom out and be like, "There's a lot of good players and a lot of players playing well." Like uh, someone injured at the moment, but I mean, I would just say yes because he's he is better, Wendell Carter Jr. Um, DeAndre, DeAndre Graham Aiden has obviously missed a lot of times, so he's got stuff going to DeAndre Graham. That's a good one. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is now an actual basketball player. <laughs> yes. He is no, I mean he's. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of the Nuggets, but I I look forward to if he plays on Friday. Like he, by all accounts, he's good and he's playing. That's fun. Um, he's Melton. a player. He's a player we both liked at that time. Or like if you if you had a chance to take that risk, it might be worth taking. Who did you say there? D'Anthony Melton's kind of interesting.
0: I, I, mean, I don't know if I, I would say. Beck we haven't said Beck.
1: Colin Sexton. Like Colin Sexton is not perfect, but Colin Sexton is playing. He is a productive player. He's a player that on a better team and with a better situation could be good. Whether he ever gets to be that because of, I mean, what, where he's at right now. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is at- the wrong way. Maybe this is the wrong way of looking at this. If we look at the players selected around him. uh, So 15, Troy Brown Jr. We saw Middleton shoot over him all night last night on his way to 51. Uh Zaire Smith. He's yeah. I've got nothing to add. Um Lonnie Walker. Kevin Herter is the one in the range where you're like, okay, well at least he's done things from time to time, although just it's very difficult with the Hawks to say anything. Uh Josh Kogi's a good player. I mean, interestingly, the the better players are the ones who've been selected in the spots after him rather than before. So it is guys that books the books have had a chance to. Um, there is no reason for the books to feel bad about taking Dante over a Kevin Herder or a Joshua Kogi right now, and that's big progress from where we were a year ago. Whether they whether he's definitively better and will prove to be in the long run. I don't know. That's a different question, but he's certainly at least as good, even a Landry Shamit. Yeah, and that's a big positive. Um, from uh, memes underscore books, will Dante be better, worse, or the same in the playoffs? The same slash worse would be my bet. I mean, as I as I mentioned earlier, it will be his first playoff. And that could be something of a culture shock for him. Like if he manages to be better, that would be, that would be very nice, but I'd also be very surprised.
0: I would probably think the same, but I mean, that's not the same right now. Any
1: variance is going to be probably worse.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just a different animal, especially for younger guys that, uh, don't have playoff experience
1: like he does from a Ben Roman, obviously losing Brogdon was a loss in talent, but the books seem deeper than they were last year. Is it more a function of fit internal improvement, more comfort and bud system in its second year or offensive diversification of that system, which stands out to you the most? I mean, the answer to this question is kind of all of those things, which yeah. I mean, Ben, you're doing the work for us. Know, I know you've been on the pod, so you know how this works. But you're answering the question for us. I think it's just comfort in a second year and also confidence. Like these players now have, like, a lot of fans maybe ready to write off the conference finals. It's just a massive disappointment and, like, a nothing. But that was an achievement from what the books were before to get to the conference finals, to win 60 games. So all of that stuff is. I think that's having a more positive carryover impact than maybe we could have anticipated, particularly when it seemed like they were still licking their wounds from the conference finals on a, say when they did media day, but then maybe that's helping too. Maybe it's just like the motivation and the fire lit under them. And the, the players they've added have been hungry for different reasons. You've got vets like uh Roland Wes who want to win a championship. You've got a young player like dragon Bender. who's playing for his NBA life. I mean, Maybe there's more hunger there too for having got close to it and not having got over the line. That's definitely possible. I think someone like Giannis, that's probably very likely.
0: This kind of hits on something that I thought about recently. You know, remember like when the Spurs lose to the the Heat in 2012, yeah. 13, and there's this kind of like, oh, they spent all this year that the next year, just like we are, you know, singularly focused. We want to win. We want to, you know, exact revenge for lack of a better word. Um, I, I, that could easily apply to this year's Bucks.
1: I like it, Jordan. You're gonna write an article about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's my take on that is I like that comparison and it needs to be it needs to be expanded upon. Um from at MKE Roberts, do you think the Bucks will make a run at seventy wins? the answer to this is the books will make a run of 70 wins whether they think about it or not like they're doing it right now like they're just winning these Mark Ladley
0: uh, has been very vocal about it.
1: <laughs> and I have endless respect this is not we've got this is a long episode already so I'm not going to I'm not going to go on it right now, but another one of my causes is 70 wins. Some of you may have noticed in a roundtable we did recently, I wrote about it. I'd say some of you, max, maybe one or two might have seen it. Um, I think the book should make a run at 70 wins, but I think more importantly, how much of a run they need to make to do it could be like a moot point. They may just do it without having to like overexpand themselves, overexert themselves even would be a better way of putting that. Um, and that is insane, but that's this year's books from At Shafty Bro. Is Chris a top 10 player this season? How many players would you truly take over him this year? I'd have to sit down and go through them all. Um, I don't think he's top 10, though, even without doing it, but I think he's closer to that than he's ever been. I think he's a, a higher ranked player than he's ever been. Like, his play is at a pretty absurd level right now top 10 know. is top 10 is pushing it though even without looking at it I, I know it wouldn't take long to sit down and be like top 10 is too much but the conversation is kind of like i think what we were having earlier and hopefully it becomes something that maybe books fans can talk about a little bit more and keep an eye on as the season goes on and rally around this to the point where maybe it becomes a conversation point amongst the media when it's uh, time to vote for all nba teams the question is you know is he a is he a top six forward is his season and everything he's contributed to the books his own individual play is it shaping up to be deserving of all nba i mean if that proves to be the case i mean i wouldn't care if he was top 10 top 15 top 20 you can't ask for much more than saying oh this is an All nba caliber guy
0: yeah i'd have to kind of same answer um but exactly the
1: same
0: <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> agreed. <laughs> do
1: you want to just word by word just give it back to me there like just in case I I missed
0: um I'd have to look it over.
1: okay. <laughs> but you agree. yes, I'm glad to hear it. from at MK Robert, which East team, not the books do you think will make moves before the deadline? Is there a move that could put pressure on the book's chance to come out of the east?
0: Elton Brand.
1: Yeah, the Sixers. This is all Elton Brand does. This is his. This is how he thinks being a GM is. Is like he's like a
0: guy that like he'll look at a snow globe and just like shake it every six months. That's yeah, I was uses. I was
1: trying to come up with an analogy that involved just like <laughs> every now and then I'm just gonna shake this thing. Yeah. Um. That, that's Elton Brand's strategy as a general manager is. Uh, I haven't had a chance to just like <laughs> turn this thing upside down in a few months. Why not? so elton brand is the answer if the books continue being the books like that's that's all they can do and um they won't necessarily have a whole lot to worry about i don't think it will change things one way or another the books could be as good as they are and they could not win at all this year because this is the nature of sports this is the nature of american sports by the way there's a question coming up our last question in a second I think might get me to tap into this a little bit very briefly. It's probably one for another time, but it's something that i I do find like jordan you're you're the one person who can talk back to me, so I'll address this to you. but do you as a as an American man as a man who has grown up watching American sports, right yes. do you realize that the best team doesn't necessarily win every year? yes. Okay, that's good. I don't know if everyone else is aware of this. The system in U.S. sports is not designed for the best team to win. So you can be the best team, and circumstances. That's why can Eli even Manning.
0: Everybody talks about Eli Manning being a Hall of Famer. I know I'm going. That is
1: that is a really good example that wouldn't come to my mind without someone prompting me. Because I American mean, sports. What? Well, why would Eli Manning come to my mind without being prompted? But now that you say it, it's a great example of the books could do everything right and be a really great team and uh Eli Manning or a Fred Van Vliet can come along and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we didn't win that this year. Like, there is an element of this that is just beyond their control where that's part of why I'm like, hey, if you can get 70 wins, get 70 wins because that's something and it's in your control. Um, but yeah, there's no one, oh, no one is going to scare me if the books continue to be the books. They will have as good a chance as they can have and then the rest... Uh, we'll see what happens, Jordan... From at Austin to Vreja, uh what does a Chris Middleton stat line look like playing as a number one option somewhere? Last night was a clear indicator of what can happen if he shoots at more volume. Very difficult because what's the defensive load he has to take on? Like how much does it take out of him being a number one option every night? He's not, he, <laughs> he's not playing the
0: Wizards every night.
1: He's not playing the Wizards every night. I think he could average 25 a game on a bad team. Maybe he could average twenty two, twenty three 23 a game on a goodish team. And then on a really does good team. Does it look team, like a DeMar
0: DeRozan? DeRoz- I, I know this is a.
1: No, I think that's fair. I think he could be DeMar DeRozan esque. Yeah. Yeah,
0: just with better three point shooting, actual three point yeah. shooting, rather than not taking it. But yeah.
1: Okay, the last question from at David Dunn21. This was sent to us privately because it's a little bit longer, and I think you'll all guess why Mr. Dunn felt the need to send a longer a longer question slash message on this particular occasion. Happy Wednesday, gentlemen. I hope to tell my grandchildren about the day. Chris Middleton led us to glorious victory against the Washington Wizards at home on four days' rests. One day, I hope a mural, nay, a statue is erected outside Pfizer commemorating this January victory. Will the all-star game total points, best last night? I wonder. But I digress. Now, your question of the week. Is any of this getting us ready for the playoffs, or are we just going to hope Fred Van Vliet is on our side this time as we ride the variance wave? I guess just going to completely ignore the first part of this, the, the, the part before the question. Not not worth addressing. Um, come on. We don't need to be in denial at this point. Um, the second part, it's what I was just touching on. You know, all you've got to do is ride the Fred Van Vliet wave and hope you come out, you know, still standing on that surfboard. Yeah. This, this, is, this is the NBA. This is American sports. I grew up, this might be a novel concept, Jordan. I grew up watching the Premier League, right? People are familiar with it. Uh, this is sounding much more condescending than I meant it to, but it's just, it's the the stark difference is really what I'm trying to communicate here, where a team would like, they play 38 games, and whoever has the best record at the end of that, they get the trophy. What a simple idea it is. It's it's how we ended up at the other one. I mean, the answer is TV money. Um, But, this is the thing. It's just beyond control. I mean, like, what more could we see to say they're ready for the playoffs? Would the books be better served by losing lots of games, by facing adversity? I think they look better than last year. And they, they've they diversified their game. I mean, I think Chris is a great example for that. One that David on 21 may not want to hear. Um, but how he's now integrated in a much more seamless way, that's a great example uh, but also, obviously, there's more pick and roll. I think there's still scope for more more variety defensively, but maybe that's just there. I mean, they have the tools to do a little bit more if they have to mix it up in a different way. Um, But I, I don't see how you can better prepare for the postseason than what they're doing. But, like, I mean, we've all got to acknowledge and understand that there's no such thing as preparation it's you go from we can do this all season and it's great to literally as we saw last year if we have a four game stretch where it doesn't work out it doesn't matter what we did for the rest of it like that is crazy that's that is not a system that you can work with guarantees and the thing with that is sure sometimes the best team wins for example the warriors did it for a number of years but they were clearly the best team but That happens when you've got an obvious, you know, this is a super team that has a crazy advantage in talent. When the league gets closer to parity, like it is now, certainly at the top end, where you can look and say, could the Bucks win it all? Sure. But could the Clippers? Yeah. Could the Lakers? Yeah. Could the Sixers, if everything clicked? Sure. Could the... The Nuggets, the Rockets, whatever, where you could pick out like eight teams. The scale may vary, but one way or another, that you could say, if things broke their way, could they win it all? Yeah. Well, if that's the situation, like, there's only so much the books can do, and they can't do more than they're doing right now. They've got to get there and then hope it just continues for, you know, six to eight more weeks, and you get the job done, you get the trophy, and then they're immortalized as greats forever, and everyone forgets everything else that went before. But there's every chance that you can be great, and you're still great, and you just hit the bump at the wrong time, or you get an injury, or someone else just, like, like Fred Van Vliet did, just finds the form of their life, and you suffer for that. And what can you do about it? Like this is, this is basketball. This is the NBA. This is also, by the way, it's not something we're going to get into now. But this is why I personally, um, I I don't understand just the outright opposition to the mid-season tournament because it gives teams another chance to actually win something that matters it may not matter in year one but over time i guarantee you you know once once teams and players start to win it and fans start to celebrate it that matters like the nba is this system and it's this league that's set up where no matter how good you are only one team can be victorious and it's not necessarily the team that if you were to look back over the course of the year you'd say yeah they're the best team and they manage it best It's a pretty weird system mm-hmm. but yeah Jordan I mean the Super Bowl is even weirder um the way the NFL playoffs work so I guess it's not a surprise that this is kind of it's not stressed in the same way just how just how kind of fluky it can be you know the right run at the right time and that's it maybe that goes for the books this year, maybe it goes against them. But I, I personally don't think they could be preparing for it any better than they have. I'm I'm open to anyone's ideas for what could be different, what could be better to do that, but I just think they're as good as they can be, and they've shown evolution from last year, too.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I think you hit everything in the head with it.
1: America's I hit everyone over the head with it, too, probably. <laughs> Anything else, Jordan?
0: I think that's it.
1: Okay, well then. We're not quite done. Because we're over two hours in. There might be 10, 11, 12 of you left. Who knows? But, those of you who are left, you're now going to have to listen to me making a plea for your attention. Jordan's going to back me up on this. I have a new podcast. You may have seen, you may have not. A movie podcast. It's called Captured on Celluloid. It's co-hosted with my friend, also Jordan's friend, Andrew Snyder. Uh, multiple times winning six guests in the past. I want to say probably four or five times. Um, and I'd like for all of you to listen. If you like movies, listen. Sometimes there might be movies you like. Sometimes there may be movies that you're like, oh, I'm not sure. Listen with an open mind and hopefully we'll entertain you. And maybe beyond that, you'll find something new that you like. Um, you can follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Captured on Celluloid. We're on Twitter. I captured on Cell. We're on Facebook. We're new. We're looking for listeners. We're looking for people to give us a chance. That's all I'm saying, Jordan. Give us a chance. Next week, and the reason I'm I'm pitching this to all of you right now, we will be talking about Uncut Gems, a film that has pretty obvious crossover and in interest for people listening to this podcast. Um, obviously a very NBA heavy um subject matter in that movie. So we'll be diving deep into all things uncut gems next week. Why not listen? You might just like it. And also, I can promise, because it's gonna happen. Jordan Treske will be coming on the podcast at some point in the future. And if you think Jordan's like <laughs> hesitant and talking about, you know, basketball, wait till we get him on some movie stuff. I feel like there's there's potential gold there um so once again captured on celluloid my new podcast andrew snyder's new podcast jordan tresky's favorite new podcast <laughs> Are you gotta give me a sound bite that i can you know use and promotion oh like for? the
0: the quotes the, like if it was like a book it'd be on the back
1: <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> the what, podcast you, what that <laughs> everyone's listening to that's what all i needed there's my cover quote <laughs> um thanks again to all of you for listening to this podcast um, I hope you continue to do that as well. Um, we'll be back. We'll see when we we'll be back. We'll work it out. We might may, maybe back a little bit sooner than usual. Maybe um, tread, uh,
0: tread, 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 <laughs> tread carefully. Trade deadline. Trade well, deadline.
1: I, I was thinking, even look, we we're gonna have all star stuff, and we don't know what way other things break, so we'll see with that. But I would say we could be back early next week. Probably worst case, we're back the same ish time next week. Um, Why is trade deadline next Thursday? Yep. Yeah, you'll either hear from us early next week or late next week, depending on when the surprise news comes. Um, the reality is there's probably none at all. But we'll be back then. To make sure you get it, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, Favourites so tune in Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at and 6 Podcast. In the meantime, all mine, Jordan, and the rest of our team's thoughts can be read at BehindTheBookPass.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.